Growing up as an adult, I, I always told people to look for how they add value in the world because there is a gift they have and they're going to utilize that gift to add value if they want. And one day I was talking to a bunch of clients about some stuff and I, I go, oh my, this is my gift. This is what, what I do. I, I, I help people kind of hear my words and feel the compassion and know that I'm sincere because I am and I truly freaking mean it and I want to help everybody. There, Recovery Nation producer John here. In this episode of Full Potential Now, Ted sits down to chat with Mark Rizkala, founder and CEO of Tolua Health and Purposes Recovery. Join us as Mark tells us everything he knows about using psychedelics to treat depression and anxiety and about the business of recovery itself. Don't go anywhere. So I have the wonderful Mark Rascala with us today, and he's going to talk about psychedelics and the future of mental health. So we want to give you a warm, full potential welcome, Mark. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and share some stuff with you and uh, your followers. Nice. Excellent. So we always kind of started out with, tell us a little bit about you personally and maybe how you got into the business, yeah. and maybe we'll go way back to your childhood. and. Rehab, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, let's go all the way back. Let's just do it like a therapy session. You know, it's 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 funny, right? So I, I was born in Lebanon. I wasn't born in America. I was born in Lebanon. Uh, at the time, there was a war going on. So we, we, we had to leave. Thank God my parents made that decision because there is no future there for us. So we left when I was about four or five, came to LA um, and grew up, spent most of my life from that point. I'm 36 now in Los Angeles. And I think coming from that background, I, I kind of, one had a really high aversion to stress, and two, I kind of really wanted to to help people, and I think that's what kind of put me on that journey. Um, you know, I, I got a bachelor's degree in psychology. I knew I wanted to help people. I also knew that I wanted to make a living. I wanted to be able to do both. I didn't want to make money doing nothing. Right? Uh, there are a lot of jobs out there where you can make good money, but you don't add much value. And I knew I wanted to add value. So right out of school, I got a I got my bachelor's degree. Went to work for a place actually called Telecare. Uh, La Casa, the company's telecare, the program's called La Casa, 190 bed subacute or 180 bed subacute facility working with schizophrenics. So like step one, it was like the highest acuity you can work in mental health. This is a population that I love. And sadly, there isn't as much we can do for them. And so they're kind of a forgotten uh, population, but this place was full all the time and waitlisted. So it was that place that I kind of learned two things. One, Medication helps people um, as much as we have these ideas that it, it, it you know, it, it, meds are not good sometimes or this and that or SSRIs do X, Y, and Z. For this population, medication changed their lives. So it was wonderful. Two, I learned that therapists are overworked and underpaid. And that was my, that was my first introduction to, well, do you want to go get your master's or would you rather just kind of work and open a clinic one day? And, and that's when I kind of realized, like, how do I want to add value, right? Because you can add value as a therapist, sure. But 
I, in living in Los Angeles, it, it would be hard to make a living. So I kind of stayed along that, that path of, okay, I don't want to go back for my master's, but I want to stay here. From there, I pivoted to passages in Malibu, which is like a big treatment center out here in LA. Um, I was a director for them. I learned a ton and then moved on to a company called Convalo, which was a publicly traded uh, company um, working in treatment as well. And that's kind of where I learned to group you know, the mental health and the substance abuse together and really fell in love with the process. So I worked my way up, learned everything there is to know about the business, and then, you know, uh, rounded up some investors and we opened our own clinics. And so we have obviously Tolua Health in Santa Monica, which is our outpatient. And then we have Purposes Recovery, which is our detox in Westchester. Well, what a great intro. So you really know the business side of things. Yeah. So, you know, what? I, I'm kind of unique in that I understand both sides really well. Right. So because of my clinical background, I understand the clinical side because yeah. I witnessed medication the way I did in that facility. I understand the medication side. And because of these bigger companies I worked for, I learned everything there is about the business side. So really, you know, when people say you kind of are where you're supposed to be, I am exactly where I'm supposed to be That's after beautiful. everything I've done. Yeah. I like some of the things you said about, I chose not to be a therapist because I wanted to make a living. You're definitely speaking to a lot of people out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I think that therapists, God bless them, man, they, they do very hard work um, and their impact is is huge. But if they don't have people like me to open the centers, it becomes harder for them to make that impact. So you need both. Both need to work well together. And, you know, in, in the past, like some companies I worked for, they treated the clinical people like they were, you know, second rate citizens. It was like, who cares? You know, if we need to cut costs, let's cut them out. And for me, it was like, wait a minute, but these are the people who are providing our services, right? Without these people, our clients don't get better. So we need to make sure that these people are one, really good at what they do, love what they do, are passionate about what they do, because then that passion bleeds into your clients and then the clients are happy, Right. Um, I wanted to make a, a, an impact that was larger than just, you know, a caseload at a time, which is what a therapist can do, a caseload at a time, you know, 10 clients, 12 clients, which is great. But, you know, if you have a center, you make an impact on maybe 30, 40 clients all at once. And as you expand to more centers, you have more impact. Yeah. So kind of really looking to pay it forward in a big way. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. 100%. So how did you... Uh get into the clinic and open your own clinic? And then what is your focus area at the clinic? So, you know, I had some partnerships and this is interesting, right? Obviously this, this, we're going to talk about mental health, but you know, you, you can't avoid kind of the business of mental health because mental health is a business and currently it's being operated very poorly, right? There isn't enough money and there isn't enough services for people. Um, so for me, it was, you know, I, I had some partnerships and, um, you know, after working as a director and having a skill base that people needed, uh, I started working as a director for places. I started consulting for my own company. Then I started becoming partners, partners with other people in their companies, you know, that, that whole game. And, you know, I got, you know, stabbed in the back and thrown out a couple of times, which is, it's the nature of business, right? I'm 36 now. When I was 25, I didn't think that that's how business was. But when I got older, I understood that sometimes business can be rough. And when you own minority stakes in companies, you don't have as much power as you'd like, and that could lead to you being thrown out. So that's what happened. But in all of those moments that I was in partnership, I gained something that helps me today, 
right? There were certain skills I learned from that business that I apply to my business today. So all of those, those failures, all of those getting kicked out, all the bad stuff that happened kind of really led to this moment. And because I had a strong knowledge base, I was lucky enough to meet an investor who was interested in investing in our space and expanding out. And he liked my vision and said, hey, I want to back that up. Let's do it. And so we came together and, and built this company. And how many, uh, how big is your company? So right now we have two centers. We've been open about a year, which is it's pretty quick to get to two centers in a year. And, you know, the goal is to have in the next five years, 30 centers. That's our, that's our growth path. Let's see how close to that we can stick because we don't want to expand too quickly. But our, but our goal is to expand into uh, Portland and Colorado to work with psychedelics. Right? That's kind of become like a passion of mine because I recognize that we don't have enough tools. We don't have enough tools to help people. And we can kind of dive deeper into what I mean when I say that. But that's kind of our expansion growth over the next uh, couple of years. Yeah, let's just dive right into that. Psychedelics okay. and the impact on individuals. And you can even share a little bit about kind of where, at least where you started, where you saw things maybe not be as successful and yeah. what psychedelics might offer a slightly different path for people. Sure, sure. Yeah, so I think when you when you talk about mental health, most people don't realize that our success rates are low, right? Um, especially for people in, in the substance use issue. So for us, we look at the way we view mental health is it encompasses substance abuse. Substance abuse to me is not a separate issue. It is a mental health issue. And the substance use is a side effect of your mental health issue, right? So right now our success rates with clients are, you know, if, if you're talking about 30 days at a, at a, at a detox where they're, they're in a house and they're monitored all the time and they can't really go anywhere. Yeah, I can tell you that we have a 90% success rate and people will, people will brag about that. And I want everyone to be weary Every detox will say, we have a 95% success. Well, sure. No, I can keep anybody sober for about 30 days when I got them locked in a house and I'm feeding them from a chef. And yeah, it's wonderful, right? But what happens when they go to the outpatient? And that's where the world becomes real because now my client can go from the sober living to the store. They can go from the sober living to the liquor store. They can go anywhere. So you see the success rate just, just completely skyrocket down, right? So you're looking at 10%. For heroin addicts, alcohol potentially worse because alcohol is everywhere. You can't avoid it. You you walk outside, you can see alcohol at Seven Eleven, at the liquor store, anywhere. So our success rates are really low. Now, some of the things we're doing today, you know, CBT, DBT therapy, individual sessions, group sessions, they're great and they help for sure. They help. We've kept clients really sober three months, six months, nine months. Um, but we have the chronic relapsers that we can't do anything about. And it's so heartbreaking when, when, a, when I have a 23-year-old who overdoses and dies, and they've been through 30 treatment centers and we couldn't help them. That's heartbreaking. So for me, I realize, I recognize that we're short on our tools. We don't have enough tools to help people. And psychedelics is going to give us the next kind of layer of tools to help people. And, and then the quick snippet on why, it's kind of simple, right? It's if me and you come together and I'm your therapist and I say, all right, well, let's get started and let's talk about what's going on and what you're feeling. Well, I mean, if you were molested at, at you know, age seven to nine, you're not going to tell me that right away. And you're not going to tell me that for a while. And then when you tell me that, you're going to have to live with this idea of the trigger. Because now you're going back to age seven to a hard time in your life. And guess what? The minute you leave the room, your body's going to tell you one thing. Hey, let's go get a drink. 
hey, let's go find some drugs, right? Because you, you, you want to get this thought, this nasty thought out of your mind. With psychedelics, especially MDMA, um, and I really believe that when I say psychedelics, there's a couple, we're talking about MDMA, psilocybin, uh, ketamine, but really I think MDMA has one of the most promises for the future. But you, you take a client, you give them some MDMA, and then you do a therapy session with them. When you're on MDMA, you become very talkative. You have good feelings. And when you're, when you're reliving your trauma, it's almost like you're in this room and the trauma is next door. So you're viewing it from a different perspective. So it's not impacting you the way it would if you were sober doing the therapy. And these therapy sessions go from six to eight hours. So in that one session, we've done maybe a year of therapy, right? Imagine that. We've condensed it to a really short time. Uh, and, and that's going to make a huge impact on people. They're going to share and open up about their traumas and work through them. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah. Continue on with, because uh, I know MDMA, that was around, actually, they were using, you know, ecstasy in the 60s in couples therapy. Yeah. Actually, be, before it became like a scheduled drug. Yeah, um, yeah. And if you go back to old literature in the 60s and 70s, you discover is that they would microdose couples and they would find out that they had positive outcomes because they would not get caught in on all their triggers and conflict. They'd have mm -hmm. loving feelings for each other and have a better yeah. understanding of one another. Um, yeah. What I'm curious about is probably a lot of listeners would be, what's the difference with then ketamine? Because so, you know, MDMA, psilocybin and ketamine. <clears throat> yeah. So they all hit the brain in a different way. So they're all releasing different chemicals in the brain and they're all, you know, um, so it, it's interesting, right? Ketamine kind of puts you into what we call a K-hole and the K-hole is really good for like an acute suicidal person. <clears throat> if you come to me and you say, Hey, listen, I'm going to, I'm done. I'm over this. And I'm, I'm going to, I just, there's nothing I can do about it, but I'm going to end it. Right. Giving that person ketamine can really help them draw away from that. Right. So ketamine, the way it impacts the brain and what it does is kind of put you into this this K-hole that they call it. And then you can really kind of reflect on what's going on around you. But, you know, the way we're doing ketamine today doesn't really involve therapy yet. And that to me, it's like bogus because of that. Now, again, if you're acutely suicidal, sure, do ketamine. It's going to make you not suicidal. Right. So that we can do the work. But we really need to couple it with therapy. Again, now psilocybin, it's a whole it's, it's really good for depression. We're noticing that psilocybin microdosing is wonderful for depression. And part of that is because the way it hits the brain, it kind of gives you this euphoric feeling and it allows you to look at the world in a way that's a little bit different, right? My buddy who loves psilocybin and has microdosed it for a while says that when you do that and you go for a walk, you feel like the sun is giving you a hug. And so that, that feeling right there is... Imagine you wake up every day and you look at the trees and you look at the sun and you look at the world and you feel that energy and that love. When you're depressed, you don't have any of that, right? You don't get to see any of that. You don't get to feel any of that. So that's where we see psilocybin is going to be very helpful for depression. Again, all of this is like super early stage, right? We're still really far away from understanding the dosages, what that looks like. Um, and so when you look at MDMA, MDMA is the feel-good drug, right? There's a reason why it was a party drug, because when you take MDMA, your senses all get heightened. Your sense of touch and feel gets heightened. Everything feels good, and you become more loving and talkative right away. 
it's kind of it kind of replicates the the chemicals a mother gets when she when she has a newborn baby. It's a similar effect that like love bond. You kind of get that when you're on the MDMA. You get that bond. So when you're working with your therapist, you trust this person. You're opening up to this person because you're getting that effect. So because of that, we're able to do really intensive sessions. Now, if you look at kind of how MAPS has done it, they did over three months. They took, you know, treatment-resistant clients. And over three months, they did three, only three MDMA sessions. They do one therapy session to kind of talk about what we're going to do. Then they do an MDMA session. Then they do a closing session. And then they repeat that for three months. And they found that a 65% success rate over up to a year. Up to a year, yeah. Up to a year. It's incredible. Did they have to do any buffer sessions or is it just like three months and out? Because I've been reading some stuff and I, I totally bet like that's the stuff I've read in the research too. Is we're yeah. really, you know, we're not like totally at the infancy stage of this, but you know, we're a little further along kind of figuring stuff out. Yeah. In the field, we kind of figure stuff out. So back in early 2000s, I was around when Suboxone hit the scene, buprenorphine. Yeah. And it was originally yeah. designed as an outpatient uh, mm-hmm. detox medication, but then yeah. evolved into people taking it every day to prevent relapse. And so, yeah. um, and then I've psychi- other psychiatrists I've known really figuring out the dose amounts as much yeah. as like psychiatry is an exact science. It's sort yeah. of like <laughs> a little bit of hit and miss. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah there's yeah. a range, and people then yeah. kind of, after you do enough. Enough people go through the program, you kind of figure out, all right, what's kind of the thing that fits. But we realize there's individual differences with that. So I'm, and I could be on this, but I'm sort of conceptualizing this being on the scene as sort of, you know, we're figuring stuff out. We see some benefit to it. Yeah. Um, But, you know, how can we further develop it and get more research behind it and figure out what would work for one person? Yeah. And not necessarily work for the other person. So like- 100%. So, for instance, when you look at the research on psilocybin um, and ketamine treatments, we find that there are a small percentage of people that really don't respond well to it Mm -hmm. because of the nature of their disorder. I think what I was reading, I could be off on this, but maybe it's somebody with like super severe PTSD and disassociation respond as well, which like I'm not into, yeah, I always think boil it down to basics. Let's just connect the dots. Yeah. You know, when you think about that symptomology, it, it kind of makes sense because you're going not necessarily a disassociative experience, but you're sort of yeah. in it. So I'm not a psychiatrist either, but you just sort of like pinpoint things. When we look at kind of where you see the field of psychedelics, what you're seeing some positive results, but where do you see it going in the future? And then maybe we can even yeah. talk about what a typical maybe treatment would look like for a particular sure. order. Yeah, so you're right. In a sense, right, with with Suboxone, I was one of the early outpatients to accept Suboxone when it first came out because in the community, Suboxone is not sober, right? If you went to AA or NA, if you're on Suboxone, they don't consider you sober. And that's a really hard thing for a client to digest. And, you know, Suboxone turned into a, a different thing. But for me, Suboxone turned into harm reduction, right? And I was okay with that. I told clients all the time, hey, you're not putting a needle in your arm, but you're taking two to four milligrams of Suboxone every day. What's the problem? Besides the stigma, what's the problem? If I have a heart condition, I take heart medication every day. What's the problem? If you take four milligrams of Suboxone and you get three years sober, could you then look back and say, 
okay, you know what? I think I'm ready to, to ease off the Suboxone now. I have enough time and confidence under my belt. So that's how I approached it. The, the, the community approached it completely differently, you know, and the clients kind of abuse it um, uh, and, and in hopes that it can replace the feeling of heroin because what heroin does to the brain, the way it impacts it, you miss it. And I know a lot of people sober off heroin 10 years and they're still like, yeah, I miss it all the time, right? Because it leaves its mark. Yeah. And that's where, that's where we, we see kind of, you know, I had a friend of mine do Ibogaine and it changed her complete, it completely changed her perspective. But that's a whole nother, Ibogaine is a whole nother thing. And I don't think we're going to go, I don't think that Ibogaine is going to become widely used yet. I think ayahuasca one day will be widely used for heroin addicts specifically. Um, because there's something about that, that feeling of, you know, escaping and seeing the world in a different way and making a decision for yourself that you don't want to use anymore. And, and the trip that people take on ayahuasca usually lead them to some enlightenment and some feelings of hope and love. And a lot of these clients, they don't have that. They come from broken homes. They don't really know what love is. And they, they haven't had a genuine hug probably most of their life. I mean, 90%, if I told you these stories, you'd be blown away. They've had horrible lives. And I tell them, you're so strong to wake up every morning and just function at any level because your life has been horrible. So, yeah, I, I really think step one is kind of what they're working on, what MAPS is working on with MDMA and a few other companies with psilocybin is getting the FDA approval, right? So I think right now we're going into phase three trials, and I think, I think we're in them. And, and for MDMA, they should be wrapping up once they're done then we'll get FDA approval. Once we get FDA approval, then you'll start seeing kind of that flood of, of, of work that's going to go, what does it look like? And really, it's going to be centers like ours that are brave enough to take it on, to do the trainings in the early days, to understand, hey, this dosage works best for this person, or who's the best candidate. You know, psilocybin is very tricky. If you look at one of the biggest studies they did on psilocybin, they found that in the, in the groups that took 20 milligrams and 30 milligrams, at least five or six people in each group became acutely suicidal. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've seen that. Yeah, so, I mean, it makes sense, though, because you're, you're, you're headed into clinical trials, you're trying to figure out what is the right dose am, amount matched to yeah. the client. Yes. And how yeah. do you figure that part out? So is there any headway in terms of figuring that out? Because I know people, um, I met somebody suffered from major depression her whole yeah. life, suicidal thoughts, et cetera. Um, and has been on SSRIs her whole life, tried a bunch of different yeah. meds, some sure. periods of decent happiness, but kind of it's the ups sure. and downs, mostly down. And yeah. I just remember talking to this client, she was really kind of almost seeing ketamine treatment or psilocybin as like the cure-all going into it. I can't wait to start mm -hmm. this because my depression is going to go away. So I know there's a lot of marketing behind this as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, and so I sadly, think, yes. unfortunately, it kind of, I, I think sometimes people might get that in their mind. Like once I get there and do this, I'll never have to go on meds again. So I wonder if you could share your expert knowledge on what you've seen and how you approach that. Sure. Yeah. So you, you, what, what it is, is it's really heartbreaking after the last podcast. And I give out my email and, and tell listeners to reach out if they need help. And, you know, I had someone reach out and it's really heartbreaking because people are struggling with depression and they're really looking for an answer. The thing is, the way our bodies work is sometimes one answer that works for me doesn't work for you. And so it's not, it's, it, it, while I believe that this is exciting for people because it's something new and they've been trying it, 
the challenge for someone with on SSRIs is going to be you're going to have to get off in order to do these things effectively, right? The psychedelics don't work well when your body's filled with SSRIs. So that's challenge number one, because coming off the SSRIs is going to be a long 30 day plus process, depending on how long you've been on them. So you're going to have to do that. That's so, step do you, one. so you don't dose if somebody's on or SSRI? Because I thought that you start it while they're on SSRIs. And then if they do well, you, they, you know, I just, I just think the impact them. is, I think the impact is, again, it's still early. But the impact is not what we, what I know about it now and what we know about it today, and that might change in, in the next six months or a year because it's evolving so quickly, is that the impact isn't as as effective when you're on SSRIs yeah, it's, because it's already messing with the chemicals in the brain, yeah. right? So so what we would like to do is start intensive therapy, wean you off to SSRIs, and then begin the process of, of microdosing and or doing these MDMA sessions, right? Um, again, it's going to be really hard for people. But one thing people really avoid today that's, that's shown a great result is TMS. A lot of people with depression don't even know about TMS, right? We get hooked up to a machine. They use magnets to hit certain parts of the brain. And, and we're seeing in some people's lives, huge results. So if there's anybody out there listening and they're waiting for, for psychedelics, you know, yeah, they're around the corner, but it's still going to be three to five years out before we can kind of perfect this process. But something that is and has research behind it is TMS. So I, I encourage people to look into TMS if you haven't tried it. You know, insurance will cover it, which is wonderful, which is with psychedelics, that's not a reality. But with, with TMS, if you've gone to like, if you've done two or three different medications and you've gone to some centers, that qualifies you for TMS. And then you can begin doing TMS treatment. And then that's been very helpful for people on depression. And then, you know, like I said, when we talk about kind of, we have to figure out what is causing the depression today, right? We're trying to we're trying to get relief because it, it's miserable to be sitting in that. So we're trying to get relief, but we've changed the way we look at things because initially the medication should have been in conjunction with therapy. The medication gave you relief so that you can solve the real problem, which is something's going on. So with that person, something's going on, whether that that's early childhood stuff or whatever, something is happening that altered or changed the way they view the world and, and it changed their perspectives and that really stuck with them, right? So then we're seeing these crazy things, these really severe depressions and stuff. But usually it's not, you, you rarely have a person who came from a loving household suffering from severe depression. It's very rare. Usually there's some kind of trauma, some kind of impact in their life that happened that they probably, some people don't even remember. I mean, some people were molested at age five and don't even remember, right? And all of a sudden they're having a conversation with somebody and out of nowhere they go, you know, memory comes back and they're like, wait, what? And this has happened to people. So I think really what we need to do is understand that therapy is still the best answer. The, 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 the issue with therapy is sometimes it could take years to get to the answer we need. So this is why the psychedelics are going to be great. They're not going to be just a, just great standalone. I really am I'm a big, because I know a lot of people who, man, they're in the woods every week taking psychedelics. And the impact it's it has on them. Like in the woods. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're out there, right? Because it's like, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand, right? Yeah. This idea of like, oh, you want to be in nature. You want to set your yourself up to be in a good place, in a safe space, and and, and use psychedelics because you're going to take a journey. And that's what it's become. And then, you know, people are like, well, I'm trying to seek answers. And so they're they're popping mushrooms every weekend seeking answers. And lo and behold, they're, they're in the exact same spot they were before they started popping the mushrooms, right? So, again... I'm a big advocate of you need to combine these things with therapy. So our program is right now, my two uh, top clinicians are in a training for ketamine. 
but we are offering ketamine with therapy. We're not just offering ketamine like a doctor would, which is come into my office, sit on a couch, let me hook you up to an IV, and then same time next week, right? But you realize that's, the value of, that's important to have that marriage of the two words. Yes. So I think sometimes maybe people might misperceive a lot of things with it. I mean, even yeah. therapists that aren't really informed about it are sometimes skeptical about it. You think like, is this sure. replacing therapy? Is it really going to last as long? And I think really yeah. what you're saying is, wait a second, it's used hand in hand. It can be, yeah. it can be another tool that could be effective with certain yes. people that it has a good reaction to. Yeah, I wouldn't give it to everybody, right? You don't come into the center and you go, I want to go on ketamine. And I say, great, let's do it, right? Really, we need to screen you and do some therapy sessions beforehand to figure out, are you a candidate, right? And some of those things are, how many treatment centers have you gone to? How many antidepressants have you been on, right? Have you tried TMS? Like, have you tried some alternatives before we go down this path? Um, and again, I, I think, and I, I talked about this on a podcast, right? As, as a whole, humanity as a whole is struggling. I, I don't, I think, and I think it has to do with a lot of not just early childhood trauma, but kind of the decisions we're making and the way we're living life today. And I'll give you an example. One of my motivations to start my own company was that I got married. I was 25 and I was so excited to be married, right? Because I'm going to spend so much time with this person that I love. And then I quickly realized, actually, no, I'm going to spend eight hours at my job, two hours commuting, and then maybe three hours a night with my wife, maybe depending on how tired I am. Then I go to bed and then I rinse and repeat. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, let's be honest here. That's, that's insane. And I don't know anyone who should be happy doing that every day. And then lo and behold, we're seeing anxiety on the rise, depression on the rise. I mean, the way we live our life is important too. So again, I, I encourage people not to just take the, <clears throat> the medications, do the therapy, but look at your life too and say, what, what am I doing? Am I happy? Right. And, you know, I went to, <clears throat> excuse me, I went to Yosemite for the first time, I think it was a year ago. Man, I was, something just felt right. You know, seeing a tree that's 300 feet tall and the size of your house, man, something felt really good about that. The, the inside of me lit up, you know, because that's where we were. That's who we are. And we've been, we've been changed to something different. And I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm just saying that People don't take the time to analyze all the aspects of their life. They say, hey, give me the SSRIs. I'm depressed. But every day they wake up, go to a job that they hate, deal with a boss that they hate, sacrifice everything for just to get by, and then go, hey, man, I'm depressed. And it's like, let's look at everything, right? When you come to our centers, too, we talk about, let's look at everything. I don't want to just isolate one thing, because if, if this one thing is bad, sure, but then every day is bad, too, then what are we doing here? We need to reevaluate everything. I really like that added part of because oftentimes people will be depressed and give me the pill, make it go away, get me out of the pain, sure. but then continue sure. to do these other things that they've always done. Which yeah. maybe that actually might even be a block from getting the answer of like, yeah, hey, I could actually be happier doing this or maybe having a different kind of relationship or making yeah. efforts this way or that way. So I really sure. like that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So what would a typical, take me through, like, I mean, you know, obviously, I mean, you could take, we could do a six hour one. <laughs> yeah. Take me through a six hour academy treatment. <laughs> yeah. So I think really. Our, our listeners, you. prepare yourself, get some food, get some, <laughs> but uh, like, kind of like, 
So somebody's listening, they're out there, they're like, hey, I've been exploring. Like we obviously probably yeah. agree. Explore it, get a lot of information about it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Sure. But what would a typical sort of episode look like and what could somebody expect? Yeah. So I think really right now, if you're gonna do research on ketamine, I would advise that you find a center that couples it with therapy, right? You need to ask, are, are we doing ketamine therapy or are we just doing ketamine? Because a lot of doctors' offices are just doing ketamine. There are not many people doing ketamine therapy, and the training is still new. It's still new. It's it's just kind of rolling out. Can so, I ask a quick Let me ask yeah. it real quick. Sorry about the interruption. So, it's okay. would it be all right to go to a doctor for ketamine treatment, but you already had a therapist at some other clinic, and you just yeah. continue to see them? Or does that therapist need specific ketamine training to continue? Yeah, no, the, the, ther the therapist needs specific ketamine training. And typically the sessions happen when you're on the ketamine. So uh, the therapist needs to be able to manage that person while they're on this drug. So that's where kind of the, the training is, right? So it's not do the ketamine, then when you sober up, go do therapy. The idea is to catch you while you're in that space. <clears throat> Once you're in that space. This is a big misconception, man. Is it? Yeah, okay, I, I think there's a lot of ketamine centers where the person has a therapist or a psychiatrist. Yeah. And they're like, I think this would be really good for you. Sure. Your therapist. I'll have to explore a little further, but sorry for the interruptions. Continue. Yeah, no. No, that's okay. You look, you have to understand the kind of the approach, like you said, is they, they're just trying to throw darts at a wall and then whatever sticks they use. Now, Psychiatrists are great. I'm not going to hate on psychiatrists. They they help they help a lot of people regularly. But again, they use a they use a, a, a combination that is tried and true, and then they tailor that as you tell them how you're feeling. I think with with ketamine, you're right. I think people are looking at this as a money making way, and this is why it's huge, right? I want to I want to make it clear that psychedelics will cost people money, right? My programs, the way we're trying to do it is that we run outpatient already. So we're just going to absorb the cost of the drug for you because here's the truth, right? Here's the reality. There's a soccer mom out there that has money that needs ketamine therapy, right? There's one of those, maybe, maybe one out of 10 or something, right? But all of the people really suffering right now, like, like badly have no money. They don't have a fucking penny, right? Excuse my language. They don't have a penny. They, they live in the backseat of a car and they shoot heroin. Right? This is what's happening. And so those are the people who need it. Ironically and sadly, it's going to take so much time before the insurance company will cover it. And when they do, they're going to make it so hard to jump through these hoops. Because today, if people knew how criminal these insurance companies were, they'd be blown away by how much they will not cover and how much they make us jump through hoops as a, as a center to get coverage. So I, I think that those are the people who need it. And we're, it's going to take us time to get there. And, and so what you're seeing right now is more of the gimmick. It's these centers that are going to open to make money because they're going to say, hey, come do a psilocybin session and a therapy session and pay us 150, pay us 350, pay us whatever it is, right? Whereas for us, you know, when we're talking about doing these sessions, we want you to come and stay with us. We, you need to stay with us. You know what I'm saying? We don't want you kind of out in the world per se. We want you to come. We want you to do a... And this is kind of goes into what, what it looks like. You do a session a week before, and that's kind of like an introductory session to explore what we're going to do, what are the things you're going to potentially feel, and what are the things that we're going to talk about? What are the directions we're going to try to go? 
because like doing any if you know if you're going to go do mushrooms on your own the best thing you can do is set yourself up in a nice friendly environment and maybe have some questions you want to explore while you're in, in this in this other world right same concept we want to set the client up then the next week we'll do the ketamine session and the ketamine sessions go you know three to six hours the ketamine are, are less uh, depending on the dosage and how how strong the dosages you give to the person, but usually they're in and out within, I think three hours is usually how it goes. And during that time that you're on the ketamine, the therapist and you are discussing and working through therapy, just as you would in a regular session. Interesting. But because of the state of mind you're going to be in, you're going to be much more open to to discuss some of the potential issues. And when you looked at, you know, I had one of my therapists tell me, oh, and then before I forget. After that session, the following week, you do a closing session. And then after that, regular therapy. And then we repeat that for three months. Three months, we'll repeat that process. And potentially after that, we see the success usually stays. It so does. That's what I was wondering about. Because I think that's the other part people are trying to figure out is you need to follow a buffer session six or nine months or a year later. And I know like the research is real at its infancy at this it's, point. It's going, to, it's going to depend so much on, on each person. But typically, the reason you it should stick is because you've worked through it. Yeah. Right. That's the the, the That's therapy the hasn't the, the therapy hasn't changed in so long because it, it is effective. Right. <clears throat> you need to work through the trauma, and then the idea is that once you work through the trauma, and you see it from a different perspective, right? You're going to see it from a whole different perspective. And if that's the case, then it's not going to be so traumatic. It's not going to be so. Uh, impactful on your brain, you'll be able to surrender that and then you're going to feel better, right? And hopefully because you addressed it, it's a long-term thing. We're not talking about a chemical imbalance. We're talking about you went through the trauma, you surrendered that, and now you've moved on and you're not feeling that. And that's why it's lasting. Well, so Sorry this you is... can hear a horn behind me. Someone's car alarm is going off for some reason. <laughs> it's life, man. It's life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Are you in L.A.? I am. Yeah, I'm in L.A. It's life in L.A. Life in L.A., 100%. <laughs> hey, um, I had a question, though. Um, when I think about this, you know, like, the therapist really needs to be trained. Yeah, you know what? Like, yeah, you, like know, you could say, could you take, like, a seasoned therapist and say, all right, you're just going to kind of help do therapy with them while they're on their yeah. trip. But there's probably a lot of stuff you have to be aware of and monitor. Yeah. And that sort of thing. So this is the one time I would, you know, it's really crazy, but I would suggest that the therapist doses and goes through it, right? It's the strangest thing because historically, you, you know, your doctor wouldn't dose themselves on the medication they're giving you. But when it comes to this, I really believe that part of the therapy is that you need to understand what the client's going through and feeling like. And so doing one yourself would be very, very impactful. Um, and so you're going to find a lot of resistance because therapists don't want to do a drug, right? Um, so I, I think there'll be resistance to that. But the cool thing is that there are a lot of therapists who are open to that idea. I mean, I have two clinicians in my practice that are incredible people and both are very open to it. And they're the ones kind of leading the charge on this and doing the trainings and doing those things. And they've both had those experiences already. Right? They've done psilocybin. They've done mushrooms on their own. They've done retreats. And it's been eye-opening and life-changing for them. So they're excited to be able to, to, to bring that 
into a, a controlled setting like a like a treatment center. So yeah, I, I would I don't think you should take a seasoned person with no experience and say, go give this person therapy because they're gonna have to manage a person who's on a drug. Yeah. And that's gonna have some, you know, there's gonna be some funkiness to that. But if you know how they're feeling, if you know what they're feeling and what they're going through, you can manage them much easier. And again, you're not giving them so much that they're sloshed out of their mind and they can't even stand up straight or talk. It's it's enough that that they're that they're high, but that they can still communicate. Yeah. And in, you know, and like you talked about it before, if we look back, there are studies, man, there are studies in the 50s with LSD and all that stuff. They used it, listen, they use it for, for therapy and they use it for terminally ill patients, and it's incredible. And it's heartbreaking to me that we don't even we don't even think about that today, right? It's like if you if you, God forbid, have a loved one who's dying of cancer, and there's this idea of death is scary to all of us. It would be so amazing to be able to get them on some mushrooms so they, they can explore the universe. And usually they come back and go, oh, my God, the world, the universe is so much bigger than just this. And it helps them accept the fact that they're going back into that, that ether, that yeah. energy. And so, it's, so, it's such a shame that they took it away. Yeah. Um, wow, what a fascinating. I've been in the field for 30-some years. I've seen things trend and come forward. Yeah. And I know, yeah. you know the brain science really took off in early 2000. And even when yeah. you look back to the 90s, John Bradshaw, the inner child work, he was like yeah. an old schooler. And you just kind yeah. of look at the evolution of like, you go back to Albert Ellis, rationally more therapy, yeah. cognitive behavior. And now we're into the brain. And now we've really, this is, I think, the next trend. Or not trend, but this is our next step in terms of looking at alternative treatments for issues. I believe it will revolutionize therapy. I think it will change. I think we're going to see a shift that's lasting that we haven't seen before in therapy. Because therapy hasn't evolved too much. There's new techniques. The concept is still basically the same. So this is a field that, you know, while medicine has advanced in so many ways, therapy could only advance so much because you're dealing with a human. Yeah. And how much can how much can you do? How much can they give you? How much can you take? With with the psychedelics, I think we're going to be able to advance therapy because again, we're going to see years of therapy shrink down to three months. Because now I'm an open book and I'm telling you, yeah, oh, you know, when I was six years old, this happened. I mean, I know people, I read, I read a, a book on LSD from a scientist in the 40s and 50s before it was banned, and they they regressed people back to like birth on LSD. Because yeah. the memories are there. We just can't access. Yeah. But when they were on LSD, they were able to access back to birth. They, were, they, they identified three traumatic experiences in their lives that were impacting them today in a way that they didn't even understand. They didn't even understand the impact it was having on their life today. But doing these LSD sessions, they understood. The issue with LSD is <clears throat> it's, it's wild how people react, right? You can't really like, some people become hypersexual like hypersexual. So you give this person LSD, next thing you know, you're trapped in a room with someone who's hypersexual, right? Or you give someone LSD and it doesn't work. And you can give them three doses, three times the dose, and nothing happens. And one guy in, in the book I was reading, and I'll remember the name, but in the book I was reading, it said it took 30 sessions for the LSD to actually work on the guy. Yeah. Well, that's no matter what has it. Well, that's probably one of the reasons why that hasn't entered into the forefront. And yes. we kind of had yeah. these main three. So what would you yeah. say to somebody who's like, why do I have to go in for treatment? Why don't I just take some psilocybin and go out in the woods and make sense of myself? Yeah, I, look, I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that idea, right? But 
you've been trying to make sense of what's going on with you for a while. And so you might not access the answer. Again, some people might, right? Some people might access the answer they need to feel better. But you need, you need some kind of, a lot of times you need some kind of guidance to get there. You know, I, one of my clinicians, Chris, who's like obsessed with this stuff, man, he knows every chemical, every expression, all of it. He did a MAPS program and MAPS is kind of the one leading the charge on MDMA. And, you know, Rick Doblin's been on, on Rogan and, and he's made it more popular. Um, but MAPS is the, is the organization that's really leading the charge on MDMA. Um, and, and he did a session with a woman who got into a car accident and the family died, but she lived. She was driving, so she blamed herself. In this session, he said she was able to go back to the accident and see it from a different perspective, outside the car. She was outside the car and saw the accident happening. <clears throat> how could you do that? I mean, how, how could you do that without the drug, right? Yeah. I mean, you could talk about it, but the brain, the memories are there. It, the, the brain, you know, all the sensory input is being compiled into your head. But when you have a when you when you get into car accident, you lose your family. Now all of that stuff has got pushed behind because what got pushed forward is, oh my God, everybody I love is gone, and it's my fault. So she was able to look at the accident from a different perspective, and let it let it go, forgive herself, and that was huge for her. I mean, it changed her life. It changed her life. And did it come back at all months later, or did it like kind of stick? From what from what Maps has said, when they've done follow ups at twelve months, they saw that. People got better, some of them. Okay. Some of them got actually better. Their statistics went up by like 8% after doing follow-ups for one year out. Now, again, because we're attacking the trauma, it's going to be lasting. It's going to be lasting because we're not just band-aiding, right? SSRIs are a band-aid. I'm giving you a band-aid because you're suffering today. Then that's okay. I have no problem with that band-aid. But we're talking about a long-term SSRI use. There's no, you're depressed for a reason. We need to we need to find that reason. And the sad thing is that a psychiatrist will talk to you for about 15 minutes. And yeah. that's it. Actually. Right? And then you need a therapist. If you can't afford a therapist or don't have the time because you're working, guess what? And then the therapists themselves have their own issues. So now you got to weed through the therapist to find the one that works for you best. It's a very challenging thing to navigate. So by the time you get relief on your depression, you might be five years in the SSRIs just to get the right therapist. All right, now let's start talking. Well, you know, I, I'm unhappy. Why are you unhappy? I have no idea. All right, well, what's your life like? Well, I don't know. We'll go back. You know, when I was a kid, my mom was really mean to me. All right, what does that look like? So now six sessions in, that's all we've gotten is that your mom was really mean to you and sometimes she yelled at you. But somewhere in there, something very traumatic happened. And I guarantee we're going to get there, but it might take you three, four more years. And by then, now your brain, the chemistry is changing because of the medicine. So you're looking at this impact, like long-term medicine uses impacts the body in a way that maybe we don't quite understand, right? We see some of these these shooters that have that have come out lately and they've been on long-term SSRI use. And we go, why would anyone go and shoot up a bunch of people? And you go, hey, you know, when you're impacting the brain and the chemicals that way, things happen, right? When you draw some of these chemicals out or put some of them in, people do things that they wouldn't normally do. Just kind of how it works. Yeah. So yeah. That's the beauty of that. Yeah, but, you even think about going on an SSRI that increased suicide ideation. When you first yeah. go on it, that's like one of the risks. Yeah, kind of which is why you're going on it. You're going yeah. on it to, to not kill yourself. I never, I never <laughs> quite got that. Why they haven't figured out how to like alter that in some way? I'm like, why are you giving it to somebody? Oh. Maybe now they're going to get even more depressed. But the you'll get over the hump. 
the brain is such a crazy thing. And I, I don't think we quite understand why. I mean, look at schizophrenia. We don't know. We have zero. We have zero clue. Yeah. We have zero clue. We don't know why it happens. We just know that with certain medication, we can help people manage their symptoms. And God bless the pharmaceutical companies for that. I know they get a lot of flack and I know that they're greedy, but that's okay. Greed leads to relief for people, right? My head hurts. I take Advil. I'm so grateful for the Advil, right? Well, I'm very man, grateful really, for it. Man, Mark, I really like your perspective because, you know, I, I wasn't sure what to expect because I've talked to a few people in the industry and yeah. You could have just been rah, rah, this is the answer. Come on down, yeah. sign me up, drink yeah, yeah. blade, you'll be fine. Yeah. But I really like your balanced perspective and kind of what you're trying to do at your clinic. Now, I have an interesting Thank you. question. Yeah. So I'm always a big picture guy trying to connect the dots. I look for yeah. parallels. And you know, yeah. Mark, even, I mean, he's been around for thousands of years. People have always preps for various spiritual things. Um, But there's a wealth of information coming out of and research from the mindfulness end of things. Mm -hmm. So mindfulness, stress reduction, mindfulness with cognitive therapy. And when you look at the process of mindfulness with John Kabat-Zen, that sort of thing, Mm -hmm. really they get trained to kind of a part of it is getting trained to watch your thoughts, not be your thoughts. So what I'm going to do here is kind of go out on a limb and say, it's a form of detachment. So you don't become your thoughts. You aren't, you see them from a different perspective. Oh, that's a negative thought. I'm going to watch it go by. I wonder what comes by now. So you're curious. about I'm going to draw this crazy Ted, bring it all together here. Let's see. Trained in NLP, same kind of concept, neuro-linguistic programming, same kind of thing, mm-hmm. watching the movie of yourself, past, present, future. Sure. Um, and then this comes along, and I'm like, you know, like, so if you'd actually say mindfulness is actually a form of detachment, mm-hmm. so when you're detached watching your thoughts, your sympathetic nervous system isn't as activated. So if you have trauma, you're always... Yep. Or you're, chronic anxiety from the trauma, you're always getting your sympathetic nervous system activated. You're getting jacked up on adrenaline. You're getting all hyped up. So how can you actually see through that to kind of figure out the answer? And so what's interesting is I draw parallels of all three and I say, oh, wow, this is a drug that goes in. You actually detach and see it from a different perspective, but you're seeing it from the perspective that you're not all hyped up and your sympathetic nervous system is jacked up. So if that's yeah. that jacked up, you're better able to make sense of things. I mean, it's like, sure, you know, this I don't is going to be for people who can't. <laughs> no, I think it's great, and I think you're right. But this is for this is going to be for people who can't just watch the tape. Yeah, they can't visually step back, and then some memories are literally just locked in a box in your brain. And that's the difference. With this. That's the difference with this is that yeah. there's some memory. <clears throat> so you almost wonder about. Like hypnosis, not saying there's sure. a parallel, but that was a avenue we've gone down before. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that's the beauty of it is that you'll be able to access in ways and remember things that you couldn't before, and also, you know, literally see them, right? As opposed to like if you told me, okay, close your eyes and now imagine this. Well, depending on how creative I am, I either see it or I don't. Yeah. Right. So it becomes really challenging for people. Look, you know, 
simple things work too, and, and people avoid them, right? And one of the things I like to talk about a lot, and it's getting a lot of love today, uh, thanks to Wim Hof, is, is ice baths, right? Ironically, I surf. I've been surfing for 20 years. Nice. And I used to think that surfing... Dude, you got to do it. It's the best. It's, it's, it's such gonna, an amazing feeling. Put your fingers on the screen a little bit. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing feeling. You're going to love it. Um, I always thought that surfing made me happy because of surfing. Like I'm in the water, I'm paddling, and I'm, you know, I get to do these moves, and I'm riding a wave, and, and so you feel the energy of the ocean. It's an incredible feeling. I've seen dolphins jump over me. I've had incredible things. And I thought, man, that's why surfing makes me so happy. And then I realized that, no, surfing makes me so happy because I'm getting cold water therapy all the time. Mm. I'm forcing my body to release chemicals all the time. And I never even thought about that until I had stints away from surfing and I noticed my anxiety starts to creep up. I'm like, I'm oh, so anxious. That is. Why am I so anxious? Why do I need to go surfing? Yeah, it's cold. So, yeah, it's cold in the wintertime. Oh my God, yeah. So it gets down to like 51, 52 where I surf. So you're in cold water and then it's not as cold as, you know, people do like ice baths today, but they do those for two or three minutes. I'm in the water. Yeah, I have a wetsuit, but I'm in the water for three hours. So in that time, my body temperature is like, slowly declining the entire time I'm in the water and my body is is trying to you know survive it's going okay well let's try to paddle let's try to warm up let's try to it's trying to survive that three hours because the water is really cold so if you look at some of the data on that alone there have been people who've done who, who, who do ice baths every day and they've gotten off of their SSRIs yeah right and so a lot of people won't you know you go to a doctor or a clinic they won't tell you that because they can't sell you that, right? That's yeah. easy. You could do that in your own house. If you live anywhere where it gets cold, you can take a body of water, put it outside, and just let it get cold overnight. And in the morning, wake up, go jump in it. Yeah. Spend three minutes in it. It'll change your life. It'll, the, the, for example, you have people who go and take <clears throat> medication for arthritis. Guess what? Arthritis is an inflammation thing, right? And guess what happens every day when you jump into a three-minute freezing bath? Your inflammation goes downhill your body cannot be inflamed because of what you're doing to it so the next thing you know people who have arthritis are finding healing from jumping in cold water wow. so my my perspective has always been <clears throat> nobody really has the answer stop pretending like you do because you don't for every different person there's a different answer and i want to help people find what that answer is and it might be as simple as an ice bath and guess what i'm not going to make any money off that but dude that's okay because you as a human being are going to find relief and that makes me happy. Yeah. So that's okay to do that. We don't have to sell a product every time, right? And if you're struggling with things that are more severe, then we can couple those things. Yeah, you can come get group therapy and, and, and individual therapy and psychedelics. But you can also add the ice baths to your life because it'll reduce your overall inflammation in your body, which will help you anyway, right? So these are the kinds of things that are important. And, you know, Wim Hof, if you look at his story, his wife committed suicide. And that sent him into a spiral. And he was just looking for some relief from the pain. And so that's when he began his journey of doing ice baths. Now that journey has turned into a business. That business, again, I'm all for business that helps people. So God bless him. I hope he makes a ton of money. Because of him, people are more awake to the idea of doing breathing exercises, which have been around forever. I'm sure if we look at kind of the, the, the uh, Hindu culture, we find that breathing has been in their, in their existence for probably 10,000 plus years. To help with all kinds of things so combine some breathing with some cold water work and guess what you might get relief from your depression you might get some relief from your anxiety 
It might help you with some of the feelings you get from trauma, right? Uh, so, so look at all of the avenues and begin to work for those. And the ones that are the most severe, those will be the candidates for psychedelics, right? The ones that, that their existence, they've had brutal PTSD. Soldiers who've gone to, to, you know, uh, to war and seen some horrible things. Those are the people that will be using psychedelics. And on top of that, there's a whole other thing that, that's come out that's been working really great is, is a gang, God, what's the name? It's, it's a ganglial injection. And there's a gland here in your neck called the ganglial something. And they basically hit it with a numbing injection. They numb it. They just numb this, this gland here. And guess what? Soldiers are reporting that their PTSD has gone to like zero off of it. Is that now, why is, it's just a why real is this not more popular? Yeah, this is good, though, because this really highlights the evolution where we're headed, that we're really mm -hmm. kind of looking to make physiological changes in the brain and the body yes. and see the yes. results from that. Yeah, because I think that when you have trauma, I really believe there are physical wires and connections that change. Now, I know somewhere out there, there's a TED Talk that actually says that. I know it's real. It's happening. And I notice it just with people I know who I've met who've been molested as a child. They have similarities in the way they think and the way they view the world. Very crazy similarities. So to me, it's saying something is happening physically as well. There are neural connections that are developing during that trauma. And they've changed the way this person views the world. Now, how can we mold or change those neural connections? Because we make neural connections all the time. We can make changes to those neural connections. And one of the ways we can do that is, I think, using psychedelics. I think Ibogaine is big for that one. Um, my friend who 20 years sober from heroin, but wakes up every day thinking about heroin, she did Ibogaine. She said it was the worst experience of her life because she couldn't sleep for a week. It, it's a, it's a, these things are not fun. Some of these things are they're hard work. But she said after a week, she said it felt like her brain was completely rewired. And she didn't think about it anymore. It was incredible. Incredible, incredible. So there's a lot of promise here. It's just going to take us some time to get there. And we need to be aggressive. My company is going to be very aggressive on it. We're going to be early adopters. And, 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 and we're going to give it to people who have nothing. That's our goal. Our goal is to give it to everybody. You don't yeah. have money, that's fine. Come to our center. We'll give you some. Break down the inequality going on. Um, there's so much. Well, hey, we're going to wrap up. But... Uh, what are some resources people could look at? You know, obviously, we can post those. You give them to me after the podcast. We'll post them. Yeah. Any uh, kind of closing comments on if you're thinking about this, resources, thoughts? Yeah, I, I think a good place to start is MAPS. Uh, look up MAPS and that organization. They have a ton of resources to help you. There are not a lot of websites that are dedicated to this. There will be soon. We're actually working on one ourselves. But I encourage users to reach out. Uh, via our website, or they can email me directly, and I'll, I'll give you access to those things so they can just reach out to me directly, and I'll help point them in the right direction. I don't have all the answers, um, but I know where to look for some, and some answers just don't exist yet, right? So I don't want people, like you said, to just feel like, oh, this is going to save my life. I'm going right away. It's going to work. And I want them to kind of take inventory of their life and everything and stop viewing it from the perspective of the psychiatrist, because that's kind of the perspective everybody has right now. So just reach out to us at, at uh, tuluahealth.com, T-U-L-U-A health.com. Again, I'll, I'll give you the, the link so you can attach them. And then my email is simple. It's mark.r at tuluahealth.com. And feel free, anyone, any of your listeners can email me. Um, I love to be helpful. Uh, again, I'm not a doctor, so I can't advise anyone that way, but I can sure point them in the right direction. 
Wow, you've been a wealth of information. This is really cool. I'm going to, I think, do more episodes on this because um, be awesome. it's important to get the info out and just to kind of yeah. help people. Because like you said, there's like, some people are doing it for the business. Yes. The things. Yeah. And so you got to like kind of say, that's like true for so many things, but yeah, giving the listeners and just the people out there some things to look for and inform them yeah. more to make great decisions about this, if they're going to go ahead and do it rather than yeah. sort of like being taken advantage of or that sort of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I, I think that I, I'm here to help with those resources. And I think that if you make a call to a center, you'll find out very quickly if they're not doing therapy combined with psychedelics, stay away from it because most likely they are a center that, that doesn't understand it and is doing it because it's the next thing. It's the next, the next gimmick. Oh, good, good advice. Well, I salute you, my brother. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for having me on. I had a great time talking. Hopefully we'll do another one in the future when we're, you know, five centers in and, and applying this therapy daily. So I can let you guys know how it's going. Yeah, you're a cool dude. I, so I got a vision plan now from this. I should come out and go surf with you and then do yeah. psychedelic treatment. Let's do it. We're here for you, man. Whatever you need. Anytime you're it. in LA, you give me a call and we'll get together. Hey, I know uh, Freddie Negretti was on the podcast. He's like a great tattoo artist. It's like, go get a oh, tattoo. <laughs> there you get a tattoo and go surfing. Okay, let's do it. It's going to be the vacation of a lifetime. Yeah, exactly. Mind-blowing, literally. <laughs> well, hey, man. Mark, keep up the good work. This is like super fascinating. I'm really glad that you just had this like balanced like way of thinking about it. Um, I, I just appreciate that. Thank really you. Love that about you, and you're so well spoken. So you're due to go on the speaker circuit soon, I would imagine. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. I, it's funny. I people always told me, especially my dad said you talked so much when you were a kid, and I and growing up as an adult, I I always told people to look for how they add value in the world because there is a gift they have, and they're gonna utilize that gift to add value if they want. And one day I was talking to a bunch of clients about some stuff and I, I go, oh my God, this is my gift. This is what, what I do. I, I, I help people kind of hear my words and feel the compassion and know that I'm sincere because I am and I truly freaking mean it and I want to help everybody. I always told people if they made a pill tomorrow that took all this away, I would close my doors because I have enough faith that God will open another channel for me to make a living. But I would love to see everybody healed. That's really my goal. Well, this is great. Great stuff. Hey there, Recovery Nation producer John here again. Thank you so much to Mark Rizcala for sharing his time with us today. For more from Mark, visit PurposesRecovery.com and TolluaHealth.com. If you like today's episode, you can subscribe, leave a review, and listen to past episodes on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. And visit FullPotentialNow.org for your free TED tools, including where to find a rehab center near you. This episode was produced by Ted Isidore and me, John Procruzzi. Thanks for listening.